The following message is from King's Cross Church in Manchester, New Hampshire. For more information, please visit us at kingscrossmanchester.com. I feel like I'm, God has pissed me in this slingshot. I'm just about ready just to launch out. I'm just, I get really excited when I come. So I didn't bring my seatbelt, so I'll try to stay on the stage. Um, but I'm really thankful to be here. It's just, it's an honor. It's a privilege. Um, and let me just be honest. Let me just, right, we're, we're, we're getting to know each other really fast. You're going to get to know me really, really well. I uh, really respect a Presbyterian minister who has just blessed kind of the, the, the leaders and pastors of this current um, life. And, uh, and he's out of New York. His name is Tim Keller, and he wrote a preaching book. And in his preaching book, it says that... Um, that a pastor needs about, about 200 sermons to really get under his belt in order to get his sea legs and kind of get a rhythm. So I have 185 left. So you're in, you're in number 15, so let's, uh, let's give, give, it, give it up. No, um, it's, it's, uh, it's always an honor to preach, and I just pray that it's God that you hear and not me. So um, that said, let me just give a quick introduction. introduction uh, pastor Jacob kind of gave the, the quick skinny, but the, the, the larger picture is that I met my Vermont wife in Seattle about four years after I was a born-again Christian. And so I fell in love with her, and God said, you need to go ask for her hand in marriage. So we took a trip from Vermont, or rather from Seattle to Vermont, and I got to meet her family. But I got to step into New England and step into Burlington, and really just get, get this sense that something didn't feel right. Like there was, a, there was kind of a darkness, a foreboding sense about the spiritual climate of the area. And I, didn't, I couldn't really put any fingers on it. But when I got back to, um, to Seattle, I started talking with, I was working at a church at the time, and I was talking to some brothers, uh, early Acts 29 brothers, and I said, hey, I was in Vermont, I got this feeling, and there's, it just doesn't seem like there's much of a presence of God there. And, and I looked at the big Acts 29 map where there's Acts 29 churches which preach the gospel and love people and love God. And I, and I saw there was nothing in Vermont. And I thought, there's nothing in New England. Well, there was three, I think three churches in New England at the time. This was like 2007. And I thought, God, are you calling me to Vermont to preach or to, to plant a church? Well, that's, a, that's another long story. But here I am, and I believe he is, and I'm just, I'm so humbled that he would actually have a misfit like myself and my family be a part of this mission. But he calls us all to these mission, to preach his truth, to, to love people. And so we're here, we're committed to Barry, unless the Lord leads us elsewhere, we're committed to Barry, Vermont. And um, I'm in the assessment process through Acts 29. I'm getting to know more people. I'm having more opportunities to, to, to preach. So um, thanks for uh, giving me your, your, your ear, and I hope the Lord blesses you. Okay, so I want to I kind of start this by giving you a little backdrop of my family. I have four sons, 11, 9, 6, and 16 months. We're going to talk a little bit about the 16-month-old, Olivo. Okay, so he's a boogier. He gets on his knees, and he just shuttles around super fast. It's hard to stay on top of him sometimes because he hasn't quite gotten bipedal to walk around yet. So he, he shucks and jives. He knows how to eat. He's a master at that. You know, he just grabs it. If he doesn't want it, he chucks it. And that's just his communication. I'm done. Um, but the special time that I have with him 
and my wife as well, is bedtime. So we get the, you know, after he's finished eating, you know, we gotta, we gotta send him through the, through the dishwasher because he's just fully, um, just messed up with food, you know. Um, but man, you powder him up and you put his little jams on, his little sleep sack, and then you're putting him in your hub, doing this. You know this, you know this feeling? It's a good feeling when you gotta, you gotta just hold your little baby and you look into his eyes and you're like, wow, that's awesome. That's awesome. Because he's looking back and there's this sense of, it's like a dependence. Like he's looking back and with dependence and you're looking and you say, I'm here for you. I love you. And just you know, it really kind of shakes me out when I think about it. Because there's such a power in that. That's the way God is with us. That's the way he is with his children. That he just, he's, he's, just, he's just submerging himself in us. And he is there for us. 100%. The title of this sermon is Rest Well, A God-Saturated Reliance in Jesus. And I think if we, if we just be real and, and, and honest with one another, that a good night's sleep is a blessing. And this good night's sleep is, is from God. God gives us the eyes to close and the, and the, the, the peace to, to rest well when we're in Him. And what, what, what we tend to do is, is we, we kind of, side, kind of side, sidebar this. And our, and our minds and our bodies and our thoughts and our spirits are, are somewhere else. Because there's this disconnection we have with him. So what I want to do is how do we find our reliance in God and how does it affect on how we live, how we rest, and how we live as families um, so this is when we, don't, when we don't find our reliance in God, how we live, how we rest, and how we live as families, and then what brings us to a full reliance in God. And so that's what I hope to, to, to accomplish as we dive into uh, Psalm 127. So if you want to turn there, um, Psalm 127, and I'm just going to read it. Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. It is vain that you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil, for he gives to his beloved sleep. Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord, the fruit of the womb a reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior are the children of one's youth. Blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them. He shall not be put to shame when he speaks with his enemies in the gate. Lord, I just, I just want this to be about you and your son and, and, and through the power of your spirit. I pray, Jesus, that you would be lifted up now, that we would see you in the midst of our sufferings, in the midst of our restlessness, and just say, yes, I need you. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would stir in our hearts Break, let us break through. I pray that you break through that, that, just that, that hardness that we, that we keep up, that wall that we keep up, so we can really see what true purpose is like and what true love is like. So I pray that everything that I say would be forgotten and only what needs to be remembered 
from you is remembered. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so I just want to just give a quick backdrop of, of Psalm 127. It's one of 15 psalms in the, in the greater uh, book of the Psalter. And it's called, these, these psalms are called the Songs of Ascent. And uh, this, this particular psalm, Psalm 127, was written by Solomon. And it's a wisdom poem for the Israelite pilgrims that, were, that had been, uh, one been, once been exiled in Babylon. They're now being freed, and they're, they're heading back to the promised land, going back to Jerusalem to, um, to worship God in the temple. So they would actually sing these psalms as they were, as they were um, uh, trekking their way. So let's look at verses 1. Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. So I want to use an illustration here. Uh, consider a CEO of a company. And uh, one, one form of, of management is a top-down approach. Can't say it's, it's the best way, but it's, it's a way. And it's such that um, they manage over the operation. They manage managers to manage the people. So there's a little bit involvement within the operation, within the daily um, uh, systems and whatnot. Uh, there's a, a connection with those on the ground floor, but most of the time is spent on top, dealing with the, those, those managers. But I want to contrast with this with the Lord. Is the Lord is much more effective than a CEO. You see, he's effectively involved in his creation at the ground level 100%, while simultaneously watching over it and preserving it 100% of the time as well. He empowers his people, but he's in control at the same time. So in this case, in verse 1, the building the psalmist is referring to is twofold. Number one, it's the Lord who initiates the building or creating a physical space to live, thus inviting the Israelites to participate in this building. I mean, they're coming out of, the, out of exile, and they're going to Jerusalem to start life again. So they need, they need to, everything needs to begin again. They need to create homes. They need to create communities, culture. Their culture needs to be um, you know, re-engaged. So God is calling them to this while at the same time being a part of it. So unless the Lord builds the house refers to his involvement of actually building, creating, of, of home structure, shelters, and, constru and constructing places for the Israelites to gather to live. But it seems that some of these Israelites were kind of on their own, on their own thought, on their own mission. And they wanted to build on their own and create on their own and do their own thing apart from God. So that's when he reminds that building on your own is vanity. It's vain. It's a vain attempt. God is saying, you need me to help you build. But also, he's involved in watching and preserving them as they watch over each other as they're, as they're moving on in this. So as any, any loving father would do, he watches, watches over while at the same time being involved. So I want to give another example and I'm going to bring Olivo back into the mix. Just the other night, um, I was studying, and he got up from his nap, and I needed to, to, to continue to study. My wife is gone. The kids are gone. So, so it's he and I again. So I barricade his room, and I give him a new toy. Then I got my computer, and I'm just there. I'm watching him, and he's, he's involved. He's, he's free to, to explore the toy. 
He's free to create with the toy. He's free to have fun. And he looks at me like, you know, can I do this? Can I do this? And, and anytime he sticks the head in, its mouth, in his mouth, you know, or, or chucks it across the room, I get a little bit more involved. And I say, okay, we don't, we don't throw. We don't, we don't put heads in our mouths. We can chew them off. So it's the same time where, where I'm watching over him and allowing him this freedom while at the same time very, very aware and, and keenly involved in his life. And while at the same time I got God the Father looking over me. See, the Lord is the master builder or creator and has ultimate control over his creation as he actively watches over it. He is lovingly in control over everything which is a good and loving posture of God has over his people. And the, the theological term for this is sovereignty. But he's calling us to trust him in this space and to go into him in full reliance because his way is the best way and when we don't, we miss out on true living. So another example, um, more, more recently, my wife and I, we were... We were given just a, what, I, what we thought was a God-ordained opportunity. It was kind of an answer to prayer and kind of an answer to helping us really kind of take the next steps on church planning. And uh, it would have been a, an opportunity to be a part of a, uh, a resident pastor actually here in New Hampshire. And, man, it seemed like all the cards were lined up and everything was, was going the way it should. The prayers seemed like they were getting answered. We were getting affirmed by those that loved us and cared. But one thing was not right. And Carla being a, uh, a special ed teacher, she was under contract for the, for the year. And we just, we prayed about it. We thought, this doesn't seem right that she would give up. She would, she would renege on her contract, renege on her contract, and, and us to go, go be a part of a, a church in, in, in New Hampshire. It just didn't, didn't seem like that, that really was what God wanted. And so we talked with the, the pastor that, that had offered us, and we just said, you know, everything seems great except this. And we got to honor where she works. And so I see that as a really kind of concrete, kind of tactile example of how God enters in our world while at the same time empowering us to make some decisions. Um, I just wanted to share that. Because life, life on our own without God is vanity. I mean, I can't imagine if we would have done that. Like if she would have said, I'm leaving. And how much jeopardy she would have left behind her in her work. And just all the kids that she's been spending time and building into and the, the staff that she's been having an opportunity to actually talk about Jesus with. So the second point I wanted to, to make is, is the implication that flows out of the Lord building the physical aspect of home is the Lord's effort in building a spiritual home. And, and with that, I just want to, I'm just going to read Deuteronomy 6, um, 1 through 4. You can just listen. It says, Now this is the commandment, the statutes, and the rules that the Lord your God commanded me to teach you that you, may do, you, that you may do them in the land to which you are going over to possess it, that you may fear the Lord your God and your son and your son's son by keeping all his statutes and commandments, which I command you all the days of your life, and that your days may be long. Hear, therefore, O Israel, and be careful to do them, that it may go well with you, 
and that you may multiply greatly as the Lord, the God of your fathers, has promised you in the land flowing with milk and honey. Here it is. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. So what, what struck me is that so much of, of the spiritual decision-making that Israel was, was doing was, wasn't that. And that's the reason they were, they were in exile. Like they needed to be taught. that you, they, they, they needed God. But God being rich in his mercy and grace, set before Israel his spiritual house by his word, and he gave them this greatest commandment. So like the culture around us, so this is what got me thinking kind of more on a, on a ground level. Like the culture around us, we don't want to be told what to do or how to live. Let's be honest. We want to decide what makes us happy, content, and satisfied. We say we find fulfillment and pleasure until it makes us sick, and then we go to a counselor or rehab center to help us cure addiction. So the cycle continues. And I can speak personally that my own addiction to, uh, to, to alcohol. And by God's grace, he stopped me in my tracks and said, stop relying on you to stop and rely on me. And it was, it was, a, it was, a, it was a paramount moment in my life. I mean, it was milestone. I remember the night clearly when Carla spoke words of, of love and truth in my life. And that day I woke up, and I went, God, what am I going to do without it? And he said, me. You can have me. And I thought, that's all I've wanted anyway. Unless we rec recognize that we have a deep need. that only a relationship with the Lord can fill, which hits us in every aspect of our lives. We build an empty life, and that's vanity, and that's vain living. That's saying, I got figure it figured out. As I was studying and preparing for this message, one of the many benefits the Holy, God the Holy Spirit shows me when I'm not honoring Jesus by serving my, is, is by serving myself. It's like, it's just kind of paradoxical in a way because it's like a warm blanket when God the Holy Spirit convicts me of sin. Because in that conviction, it's not like, you stink. It's more like, I love you and you need me. And there's why. And so, I was not honoring God and I was serving myself. Jesus wasn't, wasn't my, my treasure. And so I, I pulled these takeaways out. I just want to ask these questions to you. And you can, you can do, do whatever, whatever God does with them. So I got five of them. So do you pursue God when you create? In other words, is your creation for God's glory or pointing you to your own achievement? I mean, that could be painting a picture. That could be building a house. That could be working your day job. But are you doing it all for yourself, for your own means, or is it for God? Number two, do you honor God as you steward your finances, or does your checkbook reflect expenses spent on earthly treasure that will rust away? 
I mean, we're so comfort-driven people. So are we just gobbling up the comfort through, through you know, all the technologies and all the, all the food and all that, whatever, whatever it is, whatever those comforts are, or do you take those and re, re, re-channel them? What do you do when life gets difficult? Do you try to control it and get ticked off when you can't? And for the parents, do you raise your children so they don't mess up like you did? And keep them away from the contamination of the culture, the contamination of the culture. Or is your parenting course correction steering them away from the failures that you received in your upbringing so your kids don't grow up like you did? I mean, I, gosh, these, 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 these were such weighty questions to me. What about regarding relationships? Do you pursue people as projects to salvation or do you not pursue them at all? I don't know. Maybe there's some bristling going on. Maybe you're feeling a little, oh, this is uneasy. Like, who's this guy to tell me this? Are you worried what people might think of you? I know I did. But see, God's goal isn't to produce anxiety in you. I mean, what I ask myself, is my anxiousness because of, of what I'm experiencing stemming from a lack of belief? A lack of belief that I'm truly loved by God and I, I can really trust him? I mean, are you, are you feeling this? Is this? Could this be you? Because see, unbelief is a posture that's, that's turned away from God. And it's, it's a rebellious heart. It's a rebellious mindset and it's sin. When we, when we allow our self-reliance to rule over us, we, we, don't, we don't have God. But see, God's goal is for God to be your goal. Not God's goal to make you anxious. God's goal is for God to be your goal. To believe you turn from your sin to trust him with your life. That's that's the real sacrificial love Jesus has for you. As for me. Verse 2, it says, It is vain that you rise up early and go to bed late, eating the bread of anxious toil, for he gives his beloved sleep. Solomon uses beloved intentionally because that's how the Israelites are seen in God's eyes. And I, I love this. Is, I read this somewhere that beloved, another way of saying it is for his much much-loved people. So God involved himself in their building and their watching. And those who responded with a sigh of relief from anxious toil received a great gift from God, a good night's sleep. Those who didn't continue the cycle of anxious unbelief. And despite our efforts, God is still faithful to provide for his beloved. And we are his beloved. Here's a quote from John Piper, who is, a, is a, just a fantastic pastor and theologian. He says, Sleep is a daily reminder from God that we are not God. Once a day, God sends us to bed like patients with a sickness. The sickness is a chronic tendency to, be, to think we are in control and that our work is indispensable. To cure us of this disease, God turns us 
into helpless sacks of sand once a day. So before I go to bed, I check on all my kids, tuck them in, make sure they're not falling off their beds. And as I step into Olivo's room, and I look over him, and I just say to my heart, you know, I love you, I care for you, I'm here for you. This is the way the Lord sees us as his beloved. I'm here for you, and I love you. Believe and trust me. So how do verses 1 and 2 tie into verses 3 and 4? Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord, the fruit of the womb a reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior are the children of one's youth. Blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them. He shall not be put to shame when he speaks with his enemies in the gate. In the gate. Excuse me. So we've, we've seen how God provides in his building in their relationship. Excuse me. We see how God provides his building in their building, his creating in their creating, and his watching in their watching. But we also see he also blesses his people with children he provides. And the word heritage that is used here refers to an inheritance that is passed down. And so God drew out of Abraham the nation of Israel, and he blessed him with Isaac, and so on down the line to Jesus. And, he, and this continues as God blesses a man and a woman with the opportunity and the joy to come together to make some babies. This is a blessing that is the fruit from the womb. But why? to create a legacy of worshipers. Now, I want to stop here for a minute. It's not like if, you don't, if you're not there, if you don't have a family, if, you don't, if you're not making some babies, if you're not married, if you, whatever. God isn't saying that's the only way. But what God is saying is that as Christians, we are called to make a, a legacy of worshipers. And we do that by, by coming together like this. There's kids here. Your aunts and uncles, if they're not your own blood. And so you're called to love on them, to, to bless them, to build into them. That's just the beauty of the family of God. The metaphor of arrows refers to the family that will take care of the parents, protecting them against the enemies. I had a hard time kind of pulling this out, so draw with, just bear with me here. Um, it was, it was, it was encouraging. God commanded Israel to make babies and, and have families, but it also benefited the, 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 the parents to have children to care for them. But moreover, they were able to instill truth and, and God's word into them so that they would become missionaries, so that they would become proclaimers of gospel and truth. That's the same for us. So we, I have four sons, and I'm, I'm just chasing after God that he, that he saves them. It's not up to me. It's up to God. But man, how cool would it be if those four little guys said yes to Jesus, no to sin, and became proclaimers of the gospel, wherever God were to send them. And then they were to connect and grow. I mean, that just blows my mind to think about. 
I used to pray for my kids that I didn't even know because I didn't have a wife yet that God would bless them with the ability to be saved, to know, to preach the gospel to the ends of the earth. And he's blessed me with four kids. Carla's done, she says. Maybe we'll adopt and we'll have some more babies. Um, sorry. So why is this all important? So I'm going I'm to share what it means for me personally, as well as what it means at First Baptist Church where, where I attend. Um, so Jesus has made it emphatically clear in his scriptures that we are to be a people of God about the family. So in my case, it's about the family in Barrie. For your case, it's the family in Manchester. So, and, and it really, it, it's, it's not just the nuclear family, it's whoever God were to pull into your life. But what we've seen in, in Barrie, and I don't know your context here, but I have some, some hunches, is we see broken families. We see people, um, moms raising their kids with dads in jail. We see moms raising the kids addicted. We see dads addicted. We see moms. It's just this, and it's just like First Baptist Church is called to just dive in to the crazy mess of it all and to, to just love these people well to just share Jesus with them, to invite, their in, invite them into our homes, to, 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 be, Acts, to be the Acts church in, in the book of Acts. And it's such a joy. I want to see, I want to see, I want to see these dads that are in jail come to know Jesus and to just, to just repent of their sin, to just go back to their families and to love on their kids humbly before the Lord. I want to see them to just re reconnect with their wives and reinstitute their marriages and just see this, this, mag, this magnitude of the gospel just penetrate these, 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 these families and these people. And as we are richly blessed by God's mercy and grace in our lives, as we come together as a body, we're, we're, we're called in to intersect our lives with these other people, those that don't know Jesus. Now, I just want you to know, Pastor J Jacob didn't give me any dirt on you. I'm not here to throw anybody under the bus. But let's just be honest that G walking with Jesus is hard. And it, it requires a daily need and a weekly need and a monthly need and encouragement to obey and trust him. We need to hear the gospel. We need to be reminded of the gospel. The free the free gift of grace that we have received. And I just, I'm, so what is the gospel? Let's just, let me just read it. Ephesians 2, verse 4 through 6. But God, being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses and our sins, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up and seated us, seated and seated us with him in the heavenly places with Christ Jesus. For grace, for by grace you have been saved through faith, not of your own, but by the free gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. There's no one in here that, that can become right with God unless they have a relationship with Jesus. And it's by Jesus' grace that allows us that freedom to have. So by means of application, 
This is what this is because this is the way I want to spin us out. Um, so if you're my brother or my sister and you call yourself a Christian, is Jesus the Lord of your life? Psalm 127, if the Lord, if the Lord, if the Lord isn't involved in all of those aspects, then life was going sideways for the Israelites. If Jesus is not the Lord of your life, you're missing out on so much. You're missing out that he, he, his, his death and burial, his death for your sins and his, and, his, and his burial and his resurrection and the life that he's given you, it's, it only goes this far if he's not the Lord of your life. So I cannot just call Jesus my Savior without selling out to him as the Lord of my life, giving my life to him in all aspects. We cannot just say Jesus cares for your city and my city if he is not the Lord of our lives. So these, I'm going to bring up these questions again. And let's answer them for the application. Do you pursue God when you create? So engage Jesus when you create and give him the glory and receive the joy. Does your checkbook reflect expenses spent on earthly treasures? Well, labor with Jesus as you steward your finances to honor God. Use it to build the kingdom and for those that are less fortunate. When you do not, uh, excuse me, what do you do when life gets difficult? Do you try to control it and get ticked off when you can't? Let Jesus have your anger. Give him your anger. Do you raise up your children so they don't mess up? Get contamination of the culture? Or is your parenting course correction? Let Jesus lead you in your parenting while pursuing your child's heart. Godward parenting is when you say, I don't know what to do, but I will love you. I will sit with you. I will pray with you. Open the word and seek Jesus with you and be in community with you and with you and trust the Lord to build his house around you and watch over you, my sweet son or daughter. And then with regard to relationship, do you pursue people as projects of salvation or not at all? See every relationship around you to love people as an opportunity to love people as image bearers of God who need the same grace in their life that you have received and to share that Jesus. And if you don't know Jesus today, what a blessing it is that you're here. It's by no accident that you're here. I'd invite you to know him and be known by him. He's all your answer. For Jesus to be your Lord of your life, Jesus says in Matthew eleven twenty-eight through 30, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, Life's hard, and I will give you rest. If you can't do it, you're not going to be able to do it, but Jesus can. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Jesus is the answer, and he can be the Lord of your life. Let me pray. Jesus, thank you for your mercy and grace. Thank you for dying on the cross for our sins. 
Thank you, Father, for sending your son to be that perfect sacrifice. I pray, Holy Spirit, that, that what I've said here would, be, would, would go from my mouth and accomplish what it set out to do, Lord, that you would save, that you would encourage, that you would build up your church. And I pray that the message of Jesus would spread in Manchester, in Barrie, in New England, and to the ends of the earth for the glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to this message from King's Cross Church in Manchester, New Hampshire. Please feel free to share or distribute this content, but do not charge for it or alter the content in any way without permission. King's Cross Church exists to treasure, proclaim, and grow in the gospel of Jesus Christ. To find out more about King's Cross Church, please visit us at kingscrossmanchester.com.